This is episode 28 of the Inner Game of Aging podcast. Welcome to the Inner Game of Aging podcast, helping you to discover how to be older without growing old. And here's your host, turning this whole idea of aging upside down, Lee Mowat. Hello and welcome to episode 28 of the Inner Game of Aging podcast. This episode's conversation has me wondering by the end of it, maybe you'll hear it as well, can a stroke or indeed any bad event in a person's life help them to become a better person? You be the judge of that. Good and bad are always intertwined with everything we encounter. Whether there's more good or more bad, that's only up to a person's particular view. Since my stroke occurring at the end of 2016, I have been very curious about the nature of my recovery. I have since become familiar with many other stroke survivors that are still struggling to recover from the damages of their stroke. Some of these people have been working on their recovery for years. I sometimes feel embarrassed about calling myself a stroke survivor after listening to the struggles of these people. I do not truly know why I was able to recover so fast from the effects of my stroke. Some people suggest that my fitness levels facilitated my quick recovery, while others suggest that my deliberate, constant practice to regain my capabilities was the primary factor. Still others suggest that my connection to my reasons for recovery helped me to navigate the extreme frustrations that all stroke survivors have to endure. I have my own opinions, but these are not facts which can be applied to others, so I have been looking to compare notes, so to speak, with other stroke survivors who have healed to see if I can find things in common that would promote the quick recovery that I experienced. Today, I am talking to Kelly Ballesteri. I hope I pronounced that right. She suffered a major stroke 10 years ago. And the question I've been asking upon hearing this conversation is, can a stroke change a person's life for the better? This is just one of the reasons I wanted you, my listener, to hear her story. While she still has difficulty with her left hand, what this woman has been able to do and how she presently enjoys her life is an inspiration. After her stroke, she has gone on to attain her third degree black belt in taekwondo she regularly enjoys the outdoors with canoeing and hiking and other things like that with her family like me kelly feels that her stroke has been a blessing in her life for the lessons that it has shown her and you will hear that in her story present day difficulties with her left hand doesn't seem to deter this woman from enjoying her life Kelly and I compare notes as to how each of our strokes unfolded, how it affected our lives afterwards, and the reason we feel blessed from these events and the nature of our stroke recovery. If you have had a stroke and are still struggling to get back to normal, please listen to her story. If you or anyone connected with you has not had a stroke, consider yourself very lucky, at least for the moment. Listen to Kelly's story as she chats with me to prepare yourself to handle these kinds of situ situations up ahead. The show notes page will have more information on strokes and pictures of Kelly doing the things that she loves. 
The resources on strokes that is waiting for you on the show notes page can possibly save a life. So please visit the show notes page, which can be found at innergameofaging, or one word, dot com forward slash IGA28. You can also join the Insiders Club on this page as well. What is the Insiders Club for the Inner Game of Aging? Check it out at the following URL, innergameofaging.com forward slash insiders. And so with this introduction out of the way, let's move right into our conversation with Kelly. Kelly, now, can I ask you to pronounce your last name for me? It's Bellastrary. Bellastrary. Yes. Okay. Bellastrary. Okay. Um, I'm excited to be speaking to you here today because you are another stroke survivor. And I am learning all about strokes. And I've come to realize, Kelly, that my stroke was not the typical stroke. I walked away from my stroke um, with very little damage at all, as I can determine. You know, I'm about to have my brain scanned again to see if there's been any changes over the past few months. But I have been truly blessed with my stroke, and I wanted to speak to other stroke survivors like yourself because the stories that I'm hearing from you and others are much more normal Strokes can be very devastating, as you, both you and I know. And to hear the stories of stroke survivors is a really big eye-opener for me who's had a stroke. And I think a big eye-opener for everyone who does not understand what a stroke survivor goes through. And that's what we're here to explore with you today. Um, how long ago was your stroke? It was um, 10 years ago in December. 10 years ago. Um, yeah. That sounds like a long time ago. Does it feel like a long time? Uh, sometimes it feels like a long time ago, and sometimes it feels like it was yesterday. It feels that recent. <laughs> but sometimes it feels like a long time ago. Okay. Um, now, I'd like for you to... Tell the story of the day your stroke happened. I'm assuming that's a memorable day. <laughs> oh, yes, it was. It was very memorable. Um, I got up in the morning, and I was getting ready for the day. I took a shower, and I went into my room to get dressed, and, and that's when I started having a strange sensation in my leg. It felt like um, something was wringing out, like a towel, like my leg was being twisted. And mm. I, I never heard anyone else experience that feeling, but... It was like it was being twisted, and I was having trouble keep staying standing. And I, I called to my son, and he ran up the stairs. And when he saw me, he called 911. My face was drooping, and I was slouched over, and um, and I wasn't making sense. He he did not know what I was even saying. Interesting. And, yeah, luckily he called 911, and um, they came right away. And I kept going in and out of consciousness, so I don't remember everything that happened in the house. You, I do remember being carried down the stairs, but I don't remember every detail because I know that I kept going in and out. You actually lost consciousness. Yes, I did. 
This is unusual, see. I, your story already starts out very differently than mine. I never lost consciousness. I was, you know, but you did say something that was intriguing to me. You said you felt your leg was like, felt like it was being wrung out like a towel. And you didn't. Right, ex- like a twisting motion. And But this is not how we typically describe the symptoms of a stroke. And so did you realize, at what point did you realize that you were having a stroke? It wasn't until that night um, when I was in the hospital, I went to the hospital and I was laying there and the doctors were all around and like, again, going in and out. And Mm -hmm. um, my other son was standing there with the doctor and the doctor was telling him that I had just had a stroke. And I was telling my son that I didn't, but I, again, was not making any sense. But I'm like, don't listen to him. I didn't have a stroke, but that's not the words that were coming out of my mouth. Ah. And my son's just looking at me like I was crazy. And um, then at one point I moved my hand and the doctor's like, oh my God, it's a miracle. She moved her hand. And then I'm like thinking, what's he talking about? So I went to move my hand again and I couldn't, I couldn't do it. Really? Okay. So, yeah, so it's kind of, and then I'm like, wow, I must have had a stroke <laughs> because I couldn't move my left side at all. And I didn't even realize that I wasn't moving it until he said that. Interesting. Now, one of the things that concerns me, I'm not sure if you've listened to my episode 22, but one of the things that concerns me is when we are having a stroke, when anyone is having a stroke and they're not realizing they're having a stroke, they can lose valuable time in taking in getting, exactly. and so the gradual on, onset of a stroke or the unfamiliar sensations of a stroke can have us delay seeking care that's v- urgently needed in the moment. Now it was right. it was your son who recognized that urgent care was needed. Right, it was not you. You saw it right away in my face. My face was drooping. I didn't know. Like I said, I didn't know I had a stroke until later that day, much mm-hmm. later. If, I still didn't know. If you, if it was up to you, you may not have gotten to the hospital in time. Right. I might have just laid down and thought, oh, something's wrong with my leg and might have laid down. But I was like, I was concerned that I was going to fall. So I called him. Mm-hmm. But if he wasn't home, I would probably just lay down. Honestly, I probably would just lay down. And that's exactly what I did. I was feeling sensations in my left hand. The mouse that I was holding in my left hand started to slip away, and I couldn't figure out what was going on. But I knew something was wrong when I could not seem to enter in a password that I had been using almost every day for four years. That's when I knew something was wrong. But instead of suspecting a stroke, I said, something's going on here. Let me sleep this off. And I went to bed for the night. So, oh my goodness! Yes. Oh. So I warn against in my podcast. I warn against the gradual onset of these kinds of events or the unfamiliar characteristics where we can easily deny to ourselves that this is happening to us because this is valuable time that we could use. You you are aware that if you can get to the hospital within three hours of your stroke, they can just about eliminate any damage through a special drug that they have, which effectiveness, right. the effectiveness passes after three hours. And so that's one of the reasons why it's so critical to get to urgent care immediately when you have a stroke. So you ended up in hospital and 
what was your reception in the hospital like? How did you re- how did you experience your the hospital reception? Did you know what was going on um, at that point? Well, when I after I you know by the end of the day I knew that that's what I was ha- that I was having a stroke and I was in ICU. I had constant care. I mean, I I had excellent care from the hospital, but it was mm-hmm. so constant and so everything was so critical. Like they didn't even want me to move because uh, my stroke was a blood clot from my heart, and they didn't know. At that point, if I had any more blood clots, they didn't want another one to let go. Yep. And they don't know what's going to happen to you. And so there's a lot of things that I went to at the hospital that um, was surprising. Like I had, um, they did the CAT scan. I had excessive bleeding in my brain. And um, was it actually bleeding? Was it actually bleeding in your brain, or was it? A- yeah, there was. But I okay. I don't know if it was from if it was blood from the clot or if it was bleeding. Mm-hmm. Okay. Do you know what I mean? I don't, I don't yeah, know. Yeah. Because if it was, I'm, I'm sort of confused because if there was blood in the brain, that suggests that it was a hemorrhagic stroke where a blood vessel bursts and bleeds into the brain. Mine was an ischemic stroke where it was, it was a clot that was blocking blood from getting to the brain. And, right. you know, and so, the hemorrhagic strokes are more dangerous. And yeah, so I'm sort of concerned. I'm not able to determine from your description if your stroke was a hemorrhagic stroke or an ischemic stroke. So Right, and I never found that out actually. And I like I said, I don't know if it was bleeding or if it was blood. You okay. know, do you know what I mean? Yeah, bleeding okay. or blocking, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. So so what was your experience in the hospital like as you, as things unfold, unfolded in the hospital for you? How did that all work out? What was your understandings as you slowly start to realize what was going on in the hospital? Um, How many days were you, you in the hospital? That? I'm sorry. I was in the hospital for a week. No, it's okay. I was just trying to, I didn't, okay. I was in the hospital for a week and they wanted to release me to a nursing home. But um, my husband and my son, uh, my son, the one who called the ambulance in the first place, mm-hmm. agreed to take care of me, basically. So what he did was he stopped going to school and he stopped working and he took care of me. My husband would wake him up in the morning and he went to work because he had to work. And um, he would just sit with me and do, you know, make sure I had my medication, make sure I had rides to my appointments and basically take care of me so I did not have to go to a nursing home. So I was really fortunate as far as that went, that I did have somebody available to do that. That's the, that's the value of family. So yes, <laughs> I was very fortunate for that. <laughs> yes. Mia, I often wondered what it would be like if I, if I was alone and I had my stroke, how would I couldn't drive at that point, you know, and right. how could I have gotten the care that I was urgently needing? So right, and I tell I tell people all the time too that um, when we talk about warning signs and things that don't ask the person if they feel okay because they don't know that they're having a stroke. Yes, that's important. If you think someone's having a stroke, call nine one one. Don't let them say, "Oh no, I'm having a stroke." Could you call nine one one? Because they're never going to say it. Exactly. Exactly. Chances are they don't even know they are. And they say, "Oh no, I'm fine," you know, and they're not. I didn't realize I was having a stroke until I woke up the next morning and my left hand still wouldn't obey me. <laughs> so, right. Um, right. And, and by the time I was getting ready to go to the hospital, I couldn't even put on my jacket. So, oh, and, my goodness. And I knew something was wrong. And right. And that I had to get to the hospital. 
very fast. So right. I've given speeches on that already, my whole trip into the hospital. So now you didn't have to go into a nursing home. Your family took care no. of you. How much damage occurred from your stroke? What was the deficit? Well, the, well, the damage at, the, at first was, well, to my whole left side, I, you know, it took a little while for the, to come back. It took a long time for me to walk. Like, How long? I would be going, I would say probably, well, it, it came in stages because I would walk, like I couldn't go up and down stairs by myself because I would actually forget how to do how like I'd be going up the stairs and I'd forget how to get to the next step. Like all of a sudden, yes. I forget. Yeah, yeah, it's very weird. Yeah. I, isn't it though? I experienced that trying to put on a glove. I couldn't figure out right. how to put on this glove. How does this work now? <laughs> right, I know it's very strange. It's like the mechanics of it. It's like how do you do this? Yes. So that took a little while. That took the longest to come back. But I would, I'd walk. Every day, and I, I live in the center of town, so my son would walk me over to the coffee shop right across the street, mm-hmm. and I and then I would stay there for like an hour or two hours. He'd even leave me there with a book and you know get me something to eat and drink, mm-hmm. and and then my husband would come back and get me and walk me home. So I mean, I was walking maybe like a hundred feet, but it was like every day, every mm-hmm. single day, and I would just gradually go further and further and further until I could do it even by myself. I wouldn't need someone to do it because. They're worried about me crossing the street, like mm-hmm. um, not falling, but it's just the whole forgetting thing that that yes. was the hardest part. That was so freaky for me. I'm as I'm listening oh, it's to so you. Strange. It really is strange. As I'm listening to you, I you put me back in the time when I was just come home from the hospital. I couldn't, you know, I was trying to figure out how to put on a glove. I was trying to figure out how to fold yeah. a towel. I couldn't figure out how this stuff, how is this supposed to work again? I've been doing this all my life. And for some reason or other, I just couldn't figure it out. My hands wouldn't right, obey Right, the me. mechanics of it, it's weird. Yeah, it's very strange <laughs> How old were you when you had your stroke? My, stro- my stroke occurred only two and a half months ago. Uh-huh. Oh, I see. Wow. See. It never affected my balance. You know, the only thing that was affected was my right arm. I couldn't type. Uh-huh. I couldn't type at all. Oh. Typing, it was so frustrating and actually angering to to type right. with two different speeds. I got so irritated trying to watch me type, and it was yeah. just so frustrating. In terms of being a stroke survivor... That frustration, how did you deal with the frustration? That that frustration at sometimes is beyond belief. I'm oh, right. it was incredible. It was incredible for it's me. Just, Tell me about yours. It's frustrating. It was frustrating for my family, too. Like, like the going up the stairs and forgetting. Like, just be like, how you just made up three steps. Now you can't remember. It's like, and you uh-huh. can't even explain it to them because they don't understand because yeah. you don't understand. So yeah. You don't even know exactly what you're saying. And, and that's frustrating. And... Not being able to do the things that you did before right oh, away. Horrible. And like like I said, like time, it's, you know, you can keep doing it and doing it and doing it. And then, you know, before you know, like I could walk across the street by myself. I can go up and down the stairs by myself. But getting to that point, is, it's extremely frustrating. Oh, it was very frustrating. I was trying to put in a password at one point. And I was struggling over and over again, and I could not get this password right, and I was getting more and more irritated. I called my wife over 
to help me put in this password. And I found my t- the tone of my voice reflecting all the irritation that I was feeling inside. You know, oh, just yeah. put in that damn password, I would say something like that. I know. <laughs> I know. It's and, true, though. And- it was so angering to not be able to do what I was so accustomed to doing. Right. The things that come so natural. And even still, like you were saying, glove, like I still have some paralysis in my left hand. And sometimes when I put on a glove, it's, it gets frustrating because you're trying to do it, you know, yep. put on a stupid glove. And <laughs> that, even at one, one, one point, my brother's like, did you ever think about buying mittens? Like, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> but, so, but you want to be as normal as possible, you know? Of so course. You want things to be back to normal. But it really, that time really opened my eyes as to the frustration that people in general feel trying to get back to their normal lives. I had not really been sensitive to that at all before this event. And to see my own frustration, to see how I looked at my own life and my own abilities at that point, I become so much more sensitive to those around me who are struggling with their own limitations, whether that's inside yeah, or outside. Yeah, because I think not only physical, there's some mental limitations as well, like organizing your thoughts to tell somebody something, to explain yes. something, and then they don't understand, and the, or they'll say something to you and you don't understand, but then they're frustrated because it's simple. Like, yeah. whatever they're saying is simple, but you just don't get it. You know, you just don't. Oh, it it, it goes beyond... I mean, when it comes to technology, see, I'm very much involved in technology. I could not make sense of any technology at all. I just couldn't... Oh. If anything wasn't the way exactly as I expected, I was totally, totally lost. I couldn't do anything different than what I had normally been doing before, and even that was a compromise. It totally... Right. I mean, I, it was so frustrating to not be able to understand that which I grew up understanding. Yeah, so right, it, and like I said, things that are so simple too. Like, mm. how can this not? How can this not work anymore? You know. <laughs> so you were <laughs> so you come out of the hospital and you couldn't walk when you came out of the hospital, right? Right, well, I could walk, but I needed assistance, and and I was very very slow. Um, I, I'd move my right leg and then my left leg would catch up type thing. <laughs> and um, up and down stairs was just a chore. Mm-hmm. It's like everything I did, even like, you know, taking a shower, my husband had to come help me. Like I couldn't even, you know, lift my arms to wash my hair type thing. And ah, okay. There's a lot of things that was struggle. Yeah. So, okay. you know, you try to. Your damage I was. So many things. Your damage was a lot worse than mine. You know, I was, I came out with. I'm becoming more and more familiar with stroke survivors and the damage that they still carry around after three or four years. Um, and then to see how little I have after only two months, I, you know, I have to explore the differences why that happened. I had significant damage coming out of the hospital and within almost right. a month, it was all gone away. Yeah, um, That's wonderful, uh, right. And mine is like, I'm like, now I, I've told you I do Taekwondo. I go to the gym oh, I daily. I and so What's that? I have to get into that because to see okay. <laughs> to see where you are or where you were and to see where you are now. So but I'm I have to help others understand the time frame it took you to get to where you are now. Your stroke occurred ten okay. years ago and from right. the time of your stroke, how long was it to when you were felt confident walking alone? Um, I had the stroke in December. I would say probably 
by March. Probably uh, I mean, outside outside of the house, like to cross the street and yep. things like mm-hmm. that. That are okay, but to um, but like to walk in the house and stuff, I was fine to do that. And mm-hmm. like my son would drop me off at physical therapy, and I would walk in by myself. I didn't okay. need help. Mm-hmm. So I did that probably within two months. Two months, okay. Uh, yeah. Now. What was rehabilitation like? Were you released? Did you start a rehabilitation right away? Right. I started to go to physical therapy immediately. Okay. That's good. When I got out of the hospital. This is, you are familiar with neuroplasticity. That is, the brain heals itself. It starts right. to form new pathways. And the sooner we start to practice, the sooner, the quicker that brain heals. So you started to practice and rehabilitate yourself immediately after leaving the hospital. Immediately, yes, yes. Okay. immediately. And I think that's an important thing to do. That was one of the factors that could have been, you know, a factor in my recovery as well. So uh, I started practicing my handwriting. Oh, my goodness, you used to see my handwriting after I left the <laughs> hospital. <laughs> it made no sense at all. Me, no, me too, and I didn't even have damage to my right side. I'm right-handed, but my handwriting was horrible when I got out. I think that I think focusing and things like that were hard, so to focus on handwriting does not – Mechanics yes. of it, but just to focus on it's very hard. That's, on on the on <laughs> the oh, it was horrible. The because I would try to write. I needed to get back to where I was, and it was so frustrating right. to see me not be able to write, not be able to type. You know, I I felt worthless. But I started to practice my handwriting. As soon as I got home from the ha- hospital, I wanted to see what my signature looked like. And then I kept on practicing. I wrote the alphabet. I wrote my name. I kept on, I didn't let that pen leave my hand. And I just kept on writing and writing. Within a week, my writing was back to normal. After from all that practice. Wow, fantastic. Right, but it's the practice is important. The practice is so important, Kelly. Uh, yes, it is. Know, you went to rehabilitation right away. You, you know, practiced walking. You were walking every day. This is what I'm. This is the message I'm trying to deliver because this deliberate practice is extremely important. But then there's an element to this practice. This practice takes challenge. You're not able to walk properly, and you practice walking properly. But these are challenging things. What gets you past? What get, drives you through these kinds of challenges? Why, you know, h- how do you face the challenges of recovering? That's, that's an interesting question that I wanted to explore. Why would you want to recover? Of course, that's an obvious question. But challenging, I mean, recovering presents a lot of problems, frustrations. What gets you through all those problems and frustrations in trying to recover? I I don't know if I can even answer that. I just I was so determined that I was not going to be the thought of a nursing. I was forty four, and the uh-huh. thought of a nursing home was terrifying. Yeah. Um, my kids were seventeen, nineteen, and twenty one. I'm like, I can't. I'm not done. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm not just going to be done. So mm-hmm. I mean, I just was so determined that I was going to be able to take care of myself. I was going to be able to walk. I was going to be able to do that that I did it, and I did it every day, and I just kept with it. I, I don't know if it was because of my age or because of my kids. I don't really know now, what it was. I just know I was going to do it. <laughs> I, I'm going to make an assumption here. I don't know if this assumption is correct, but I believe that 
your kids played a good part of the reason why you practiced every day. The reason why I'm I say sure that, that they did, yeah. yeah, you know, because when we when we have to face a challenge, something inside of us rises up so that we can face that challenge. If we have nothing inside to fight for, then we fall down in the face of that challenge. But you had your family and children to fight for in your own recovery. And I can see where that would drive your deliberate practice on a daily basis. For me, I had to, I felt blessed by the stroke. Even though I was compromised and couldn't do a lot of things immediately, I needed to recover because I learned so much from my own stroke that I needed to share with others and I had to deliver a message to others that anyone can have a stroke. It doesn't matter how healthy you are or what, how strong you are, you know, you can still have a stroke. And I needed to get that message out and I worked hard night and day to try and finish the podcast that you heard, the episode 22, mm -hmm. so that I could deliver that message. And that was my reason for practicing my handwriting, my typing, my speaking, and everything. And it came back very fast, but I was practicing day right. and night. So, But now you've gone on to do other things. You have, you know, I understand that you are have a black belt in martial arts. How did you move, How did you move from... A stroke survivor to a black belt in Taekwondo. I know. <laughs> well, before I had, I know it's kind of strange. Somewhere. I am. Um, before I had the stroke, I had been going to Taekwondo for a year, mm -hmm. and I was. Um, me and my husband went together. My son was an instructor, and um, so it was a big part of our life and a big part of our family. All my kids did it actually, and mm. um, and I was like we. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but you get colored belts, like white belt, yellow belt, orange belt. Yep. Mm -hmm. And I was about halfway to black belt when I had the stroke. And so after I had the stroke and I was recovering, um, one of the things was that my husband and kids wouldn't let me stay home alone. And But they still went to Taekwondo, so my husband would actually, I couldn't get into his truck myself, so he'd pick me up and put me in the truck, and we'd go to Taekwondo, and I'd sit in the audience and watch. And part of my mem brain recovery was to watch what they're doing and memorize the steps that they were doing mm -hmm. that I had been doing because you have to do forms and different things. And yep. mm -hmm. I would sit there and watch them and try to memorize everything again. And it was kind of like a brain exercise. Yes, I understand. Yeah. So then after about a year, I was strong enough and my heart rate was under control. Everything was under control so that I could start that kind of you know, more aggressive mm -hmm. activity rather than just walking and whatever. So I went back after a year, and then a year from then I got my black belt, and I'm still going. Now I'm up to my third degree wow. black belt. Now, what sort of, how do you see your stroke, the damage from your stroke in your taekwondo? Um, well, my forms aren't perfect. <laughs> when I have to do a form, um, one thing is we do the form to our like left side, and then mm -hmm. we turn and do, repeat the same step to the right side, and I have a little bit of difficulty transitioning from one direction to the other. Mm -hmm. So that's been something that over the years I've, I've gotten much, much better at it, but right after the stroke it was impossible. Mm. And that was a great source of frustration because they're like, well, you just did it. How can you not turn and repeat the same <laughs> thing? You know, like, they don't understand they that. They don't understand. And um, no. 
but now, you know, after the years, I have, you know, I've gotten much better. I can go one direction and turn and go the other direction with much more fluidity. And then um, my hand, I still um, do not have control over my hand. So it's not, so when you do like a certain movement with your hand, mm -hmm. my left hand does not look like it's supposed to. Like, okay. you know, if you hold, you know, different hand, like a ridge hand or a knife hand or whatever. Yep, yep. Mm-hmm. Um, so as far as that kind of thing, you can see, you know, wow, what's, you know, you can see that it's not, I'm not 100%. Okay, you're not 100 Now, that's a question I wanted to ask you. You have recovered rather significantly over the past 10 years. And yes, yes. that recovery has taken this long. At this point, in terms of percentages, zero means you haven't, re you haven't recovered much at all, or 100% means you're fully recovered. What's what sort of percentage would you give your recovery after at this time? Uh, I would say, it, I would say at least 90%. At because, least 90%. Great. Yeah, because my hand is still like you will. You know, if you see me, you can see my hand. You say, "Wow, what's wrong with her?" But I have adapted so that I just use my hand differently. Yes. Yes. You know what I mean? So it's like, I I, even though it, to look at me, it's like, oh, yeah, something's wrong with her hand. I, for me, it's not as bad as it looks because I have adapted. I've used it differently. I use it rather than to grasp something. I use it like a shelf almost to yes. balance something on. I, yes. Just different things that I've had to do. So it's an adaptation, whereas, you know, it's funny. You remind me of the politician Bob Dole who had polio as a younger kid, and he he doesn't hide the fact, but you don't really see it because the way he uses his hands, you don't really see. He hides one hand and keeps it out of view, the one that's been affected, and you don't really see his his deficit, so to speak. Our adaptations right. are very interesting. I've had to adapt like that at several times in my life because of injuries and stuff like that. So now... Your your brain has healed to a large degree. I yes. don't I don't know if does the damage. Maybe you can answer this question for me. I saw my brain scan and I saw the damage that was in my brain from the stroke. I don't know. I know that our brain can work around that damage and produce neural pathways that functions the same as it did before, only with different neural pathways. But I don't know if those damaged spots ever heal. When was the last time you saw an image of your brain? It's been a long time. I would say probably seven years. Seven years ago. And yeah. that last image that you saw of your brain, how did it compare to the images that you saw in the hospital when you were having the stroke? Did they look any better? It was... Yeah, it looked a lot better. It was definitely better. But like you said, it does find different paths and things like that. So mm -hmm. I don't understand 100% how it all works. And I'm, mm -hmm. you know, like as, as far as like my hand goes, like I don't know if it's a, if it can ever be healed. I don't know if it, you know, like 100%. Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't know how that, I don't really understand how that works myself. Okay. Um, I, I don't still, know if anybody does. <laughs> I don't know if anybody does either. We we do know that the brain 
tends to heal itself. We do know that right. the brain can supply functions that have been damaged in the brain can find new places to function again. If we, for example, right. lose our lose the part of the brain that connects to our hearing, um, but we still have physical equipment to hear, the brain will try to adapt that to other parts of the brain so that you can hear again. Yeah, and so the brain is a wonderful organ, and it's it doesn't ever stop working. You know, from the minute you're born to whenever, it never stops working. Even when you're sleeping, it works. And I realized from my stroke, doing the research that I've done, that the brain takes up about 30% of the energy of the body. That's a large amount of energy for a three-pound organ. Right. <laughs> so, right. <laughs> and, you know, like to... You know, we start to realize how important that organ is to everything we do, see, say, think, and feel. Yeah, and and yeah. so to have damage in that part of our body and now in our brain, you know, can be quite significant. And strokes is the center of this. As another stroke survivor, especially one who has mastered your deficits to go on to earn black belts in martial arts, I mean. You are to be commended because you're a testament to what recovery and practice can do for people. I'm a short story here, Kelly. I had a very, very bad accident in 2004. I had severed my leg in a vehicle accident. It wasn't completely severed, but the doctor said I, mm -hmm. would, ne I would never use that leg normally again. And... I heard him, and I could not understand that I would not ever be using that leg normally again. I cried. Right. I cried that night very significantly. I was watching yeah. television with people walking on the beach thinking, I would never do that again because I don't have legs to do that anymore. But right. time has passed, and I am now jumping, running, and all the rest of that stuff. The way we <laughs> end up from an accident like strokes or physical accidents is not yeah. the way when we first wake up and realize our damage, we're going to, it's going to be better than that. We just have to give it time and practice and, right. and understand how to recover. And so, right. Um, and determination, you have to, Oh, that's you have so to important. Want it, you have to do it. Yes. That's so important. I'm glad you, I'm glad you see determination as one of the critical factors here. Are you a, typically a determined person? Um, I am now. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> no, but I, I do feel that. No, I do feel that. And you had mentioned before that in some ways your stroke was a blessing. And Absolutely. sometimes I have said that. I have said that. I said it's one of the best things that happened to me because I look at life a lot differently. Excellent. Excellent. Than I did before. And I'm more um, appreciative of life, more appreciative of movement. Yes. Yes. You know, when you, when you don't have that movement, then you do, you know, you keep getting better and better and better. And then you can see that you do have the ability to, to get, get better, better even That's if right. you didn't have a stroke. But if I didn't have the stroke, I may not have been as appreciative, aggressive in that. Right. Or appreciative. That now I think you're saying something very significant. I've had many injuries and accidents in my life, and each one has produced something positive in my life. The stroke, mm -hmm. the stroke has been very. I've been blessed by my stroke. It was a mild yeah. one, but I. But it's opened up my eyes to what a stroke survivor feels. It has helped me understand how to share 
information with others. It has given me a warning sign about my own health. The stroke is yeah. a blessing in so many ways, Kelly. Uh, it is. I, I agree with that. Do you actually feel blessed by your stroke? I do. And I have said that. I've said that. that um, and my family has said that. It's like one of the – because it changes you. It, it, it does. I for the better. It, it does, does change you. And it, I think that it, you don't – you're just not a um, – bystander in your life you you know what i mean like you take an active part and you you want to make yes. it better so you do you know i'm so glad you said that it. i'm so glad you said that it does change your life and in fact it does every bad thing that happens to you has lessons embedded in it each accident right. i've had and the stroke Every bad thing that has happened has some good lessons involved that has benefited my life more and more. And this stroke is no exception. I'm so happy to hear you say that because I thought it was just me. <laughs> I know. When I the first time I said it, people looked at me like, "Are you kidding? Like, how can you say that?" But it's true. I know. It's true. It's definitely <laughs> true. I realize so much more for me to see another stroke survivor or another accident victim. My feelings about that, my feelings about them and what they're going through, I feel so much more connected to their pain and suffering, so much more compassionate. You know, right. I, and the frustration that they go through. Oh, they go, the frustration is so significant. I had not realized how significant the frustration is. Yeah. Right, me either. I never did. I never <laughs> understood that. <laughs> but I would see people get angry at those around them not understanding what they are going through. Yeah. Right. Trying to communicate and people misunderstanding what they are saying. Trying to do things for themselves and having everyone help them because they because they insist on it. I mean like Right. It's it's just so I never understood any of this before. And I'm I'm hard pressed to say that I understand it now because we always, whenever we understand, whenever we understand anything more, we think we understand it. But there's more to understand still. <laughs> right. Then there's another lesson right around the corner. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And so, and and you've said some critical things here that I want other stroke survivors to hear. The the amount of practice that's necessary, the attitude you must take into that practice. What you know, working for something. You in this case, your children, or to be better. You know, um, you know, these are all critical elements in healing, and and then moving on to even greater heights, like awards in taekwondo. You know, we become who we are to become in the face of these challenges, and that's a mystery unto itself. Who am I when in the face of these challenges? Yeah, you know, um, right. So uh, it's and it's interesting to learn about ourselves as we face these challenges and to see where we fall down and to see where we're not as good as what we thought we were, but we have to get better. You know, um, and I'm still practicing my the only damage I have is on my pinky. My pinky isn't as obedient as I would like it to be. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, <laughs> now, what is the issue with your hand? You said you don't usually use it. You've adapted it to be a shelf more it's, than a hand. Um, I have my index finger. I, I can move my hand, but I cannot. Um, like my index finger in a relaxed position is extended at all times. Mm -hmm. And then the other three fingers next to it, I, I cannot touch my thumb to each finger. Ah, okay. That movement. 
mm-hmm. and I can't. I do not have flexibility in my hand at all. It's very rigid, and um, yes. I cannot put like my fingers together in a flat. Okay, I understand. I understand. Yeah. See, that's where my hand was when I left the hospital. I, you know uh-huh. how you, you how you tap your fingers in sequence one at a time. You know, I could not yeah. do that with my left hand. I no, couldn't even, I, I can't do that. Yeah. I couldn't even shake my hand and have my fingers flap about in a relaxed manner on that hand because of spasticity right. in the muscles. And so, yeah. um, and it was so frustrating to see that my hand was curled up just as I would imagine a stroke victim hand would be curled up. Right. I looked, at, I looked right. at that hand and I said, yep, I'm a stroke victim. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and right. So, <laughs> and, you know, it took me a while to get used to that. Fortunately, it went away quite easily. I don't yeah. know. I don't know, Kelly. One of the reasons why I'm speaking to you, because I'm trying to explore why I recovered so fast. My recovery was so fast compared to everyone else, and I don't know why right. that's the case. You know, I want to understand. It took within a month. I was doing everything that I was doing before within a month. Even after two weeks, you would be hard pressed to know that I had a stroke. The right. I gave you a link of a speech I I did about the lighter side of having a stroke. And that speech was given about three weeks after I had my stroke. That's amazing. And I thought it was, is this the way people recover from a stroke? But I learned that it's not the way people recover from a stroke. Even even yourself, it took you about two or three months to learn to walk again on your own outside the house. Right. Right. For, for I don't know. I don't know. I've seen people who who recover in all different stages, and some people regain things, and some people don't. Like speech, things, some people mm-hmm. don't regain their speech. Yep. So I, I don't know why. What makes some people recover faster, or um, yeah, but see, I'd like I to explore know. that. Now, are you in con- are you in connection with any other stroke survivor support groups of any sorts? Um, I joined a couple of them on Facebook. Yes, um, I do too. There's a couple, yeah. There's a couple different ones, and I follow them. And I don't follow them religiously. And for a while, I was like reading all the posts, and it just it breaks your heart, you know, even to hear what some people are going through, and I and know. it brings back all the memories of what you went through. Absolutely, <laughs> but, absolutely. Um, but it's exciting to see some people actually put videos of their hand movement, like how they get they're getting better and different things that they're doing, exercises that they're doing. That's encouraging. Yes, it to is. See people yeah. doing that. It's it's funny because from associating with stroke survivor groups on Facebook, I realized, you know, I almost had no stroke at all. Considering some of the stories I'm hearing here, some one person has finally been able to put on his pants after th- alone. Yeah. After three years, right? You know. Yeah, it's amazing, right? But some people go. I don't know why that is. Some people go through amazing things. I don't know. I mean, yeah, but the challenges of some of these stroke survivors after so long, and then I think me, I had a stroke, and two weeks later, I'm doing what I normally do again. I mean, this is ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> and so I don't they, know. You, you have a black belt. You know, um, well, so. and I know that people will look at me and they say, oh, what's wrong with your hand? And I say, oh, I had a stroke. And they like almost fall down. They can't believe that. I, they look at me like they can't believe that I had a stroke. 
You sound Are like a, sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, I'm pretty sure I had a stroke. <laughs> now, you, how are you socially? Were you embarrassed by your stroke at first? Um, at first, I went back to work after a year, and it was a new job. So it wasn't people that I had known before. And um, mm-hmm. they'd say, what happened to you here? And I'd say, oh, I had an accident at first, because I mm-hmm. didn't want them to know that I had a stroke. I, okay. I thought that there'd be a certain... Um, judgment against me sure. knowing that I had a stroke like there'd be oh can she handle this is this going to be too much for her are we going to you know what I mean like I didn't yep. want them to treat me like I had had a stroke yep yep so I it probably took a good maybe year or two at work before I even started opening up and telling people that that's what it was Hmm. Now everybody knows. Now I don't <laughs> care anymore either. It's like you know what I had a stroke it over it. Yeah. <laughs> you know. I was I don't, you know, I had, judge me for it. It was funny because I had a hard time opening up about my stroke, but once I did, yeah. it became easy to open up about it. Yeah. Um, right. It took me a long time. It really did. But once I did, like then now it's like, you know, it's Yep. People have yeah. strokes. I mean, it, it's it sucks but they do, you know what I mean? And it's nothing to be ashamed of. That's right. I have this thing about growing older and not growing old. And here I am right. lying in a hospital having a stroke. And, right. <laughs> you know, I'm supposed to be a, a model for health in the older ages. Yeah. And then what am I doing lying in the hospital with a stroke? Well, a stroke okay. can have, a stroke is an age independent event. Young kids have strokes, right. old people have Babies strokes. Babies have strokes. Right. Exactly. In the hospital, I saw that babies are having strokes these days. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, so it's not a question of getting older and not having a stroke. We all want to stay healthy and we, none of us want to have a stroke. But they do happen right. and we have to face those realities. But it changes your life. It really changes your life. It does. It definitely changes your life. And, and like so. you said, socially, like now it's not an issue. And mm-hmm. You sound but like you're an outgoing person. You sound like you're a fairly I'm outgoing. I'm very outgoing. <laughs> <laughs> Did, were you a bit more reclusive when you first came home from the um, hospital? Oh, yes. When I first came home from the hospital, I was. But mm-hmm. um, be, just because just different things that you're feeling, you don't necessarily want people to see you. You don't want people to. I, it's just, I don't know. I don't want to say it's embarrassing, but it kind of is embarrassing. Yes, I agree. I agree. How about yeah. how about your emotions? Did you notice any effect on your emotions from the stroke? How you handle your um, emotions? At the time, well, at the time I was extremely emotional because of all the frustration and mm. um, and then not knowing. It took um, because my stroke was caused ultimately from a bad thyroid. Mm-hmm. I had the stroke in December, and we didn't cure the thyroid problem until May. Wow! So like. They did, they didn't know if I was going to have another stroke. They tried to do surgery and they couldn't because then I suffered a tachycardia where my heart rate went out of control. So mm. it took a, it took six months before they could get my thyroid under control again. Wow! So and they actually what they did was they um, it's called ablated. They kill it with radiation. Mm-hmm. So it took you know six months before we could do that, and then took a year of monitoring it to make sure that that actually worked. So. They didn't know if I was going to have another stroke, so that's so there's a lot of fear there and frustration, and you know you're trying to get better, but you don't know if you're yep. going to do more damage. You know what I mean? Yep. You don't know if you're going to have another one. <laughs> yep, I, that was so. a concern for me. You know, strokes occur sometimes in quick succession, 
And I was concerned, am I going to have another one here? Having one predisposes you to having another. So I looked at at my scans. I wanted to determine exactly what caused my stroke so that I can monitor and control the factors that were that were there. But I think it's also important for the people around the stroke victim to understand what they're going through. Absolutely. You know what I mean? That's like a that's a big thing to be patient and yes. helpful and not you know what I mean there's different things. Yes. I, you know, and, uh, and they're gonna yell at you. <laughs> <laughs> um, my wife was pretty patient with me. It was funny because I have this one of the results of my stroke was I wasn't paying attention to things on the left-hand side of me. And right. and so she would dutifully put things on the right side of the refrigerator. <laughs> and so, oh, right. <laughs> and other things, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I had a, while I had difficulty using my left hand, she would compensate for that in whatever way she yeah. could. And so, um, so the people around you typically do not understand the frustration that you feel as you're struggling to get back. But they're still very useful. There's still a blessing to have around you. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so like my husband automatically reaches over and undoes my seatbelt because I can't uh-huh. do the buckle if I'm a passenger mm, on the left okay. side. Um, people are always opening my water for me or, or, you know, things like that, like things that I can't necessarily do, you know, that's more frustrating. And still to this day, and they just, you know, do it for me. And, um, mm. Like at first, like that is embarrassing that you can't do it. But now it's like, Undo my seatbelt. <laughs> <laughs> You've grown used to the help. You've grown used right. to the help. Right, you get used to the help, and you should appreciate the help because, mm. you know, there's some things that, you know, so you're going to conquer the world, but so you can't unbuckle your seatbelt. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because all the plans I had for my life didn't change after I had my stroke. I still wanted to conduct all the plans I had for my life. And how right. am, how am I going to do that now with the deficits that I was carrying around, the limitations I was carrying around with a stroke? I wonder how much that kind of thinking helps you to recover. Here goes, I would like to ask you this following question. My wife made this observation, and I want to see if you can connect with this in any way. And it's okay if you do not. But my wife knows that I'm a very proudful person. And she says... Yeah. She says that your own vanity is going to help you to recover because you could not stand to see, have people see you in the state you were in. And that alone is going to spark your recovery. Now, there you go. No, that is a good point. She <laughs> <laughs> says your own vanity about yourself will help you recover. Right. How do you relate to that? How did you, how do you relate well, to that? Well, the song? only way I can relate to that, as you were saying, is I think about in Taekwondo when we're doing testing, we have to get up before the masters and the audience mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. perform certain things in front of everybody. And I was, I feel like I'm more focused on practicing because mm-hmm. it's going to be obvious to everybody that, oh my God, would she had a stroke or something. You know what I mean? <laughs> like it's going to be obvious. Mm-hmm. And I don't want it to be as obvious. I want to be you know, try to perfect my movement, which is not easy, as you know, but, um, so that part, of, but that's the only part of like the vanity part that I can connect with. But when you're saying that, that's all I could think of was like, Oh my God, I know. And I got to get up in front of everybody. Yes. I want to look as normal as possible. You know what I mean? Exactly. 
I wanted to look as, you know, if you see pictures of me, I flaunted my body for my entire life. And, <laughs> and to be able to, and to be in the condition I was leaving the hospital, you know, like I had to return to as close as I can be, get to what I was before. And that fueled right. a lot of my practice. But the stronger element of my challenge in getting back, the stronger reason to get back was because I felt blessed. I felt like I had a responsibility because of the stroke to help other people understand what strokes were all about. And that was the stronger fuel for me to get back. Right. Yeah. You know, so, no, that, that's, I think everybody has the driving force inside them. And I think, you know, it's important to, to tap into never that. give up. Exactly. Yeah. And just never give up. And whatever it is that makes you mm-hmm. go, then you just have to keep going. You know, you have to persevere. You can't just sit back and not, try to get better. You know what I mean? Well, you are a shining example of that. Well, Kelly, it has been a pleasure. You've been an inspiration, not just to me, but I hope to many other listeners out there as well who are involved with stroke recovery. Stroke recovery is something that I'm becoming more and more involved in. So um, you've, you've added to the stories that I can now tell. I can say, I know this woman who had a stroke and is now a third-degree black belt. So I'm sure sure that you can do something along the lines of whatever it is you want to do. It may not be everything you you want, but if she can do that, surely you can do something that moves you closer to what you want to be. Yes, thank you. And that wraps it up for this episode. Chatting with Kelly helped me to understand some aspects of my own stroke experience. I will be comparing notes with other stroke survivors in upcoming episodes. I'd really like to get a handle on the factors that promote quick recovery. And these conversations are my my way of doing just that. Now, I've collected a growing list of resources related to strokes on the show notes page. My experience from my own stroke is extensively detailed in these resources. This includes my personal brain scans from the hospital, the practice sessions of my handwriting. It's fascinating to see the improvements as hours moved into days and days moved into weeks. There are also academic articles included in these resources that teach us further about strokes and how to recover from them. I've even thrown in links to a small talk that I gave to a small group of people titled The Lighter Side of Having a Stroke. And I will be adding more to this stroke resource package as time goes on. You can find all of these on the show notes page for this episode and you can find the show notes page for this episode at the following URL innergameofaging.com forward slash IGA 28. While there, don't forget to join the IGA Insiders Club for a list of benefits that help you grow older without ever growing old. Our next episode talks about an innovative approach to housing and living that will be sure to intrigue so many of you. So subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss the thought-provoking topics that we have in store for you up ahead. And until next time...
Thanks for listening to the Inner Game of Aging podcast with Lee Mo Watt. Check out more content by going to theinnergameofaging.com. That's theinnergameofaging, no spaces, dot com. Stay with us as we learn the many ways of being older without growing old.